Welcome to TV7 Israel's podcast. We invite you to listen and share our latest content from Israel and the region. Shalom from Jerusalem. This is uh, Powers in Play, our monthly program in uh, which uh, we try to focus on issues, not necessarily those of the Middle East, but uh, global and uh, of other regions. And uh, obviously, as the uh, Russia-Ukraine war enters its uh, third month, this is still our main topic. And today we will try to see whether there is some connection between the terms assistance, resistance, and persistence, because the war seems uh, to uh, grind, especially the Ukrainians, it has become a war of attrition, and there is no direct outside support by any combat troops, aircraft, or any other uh, weapon systems operated by foreigners, the Ukrainians must fight on their own. And even though uh, President Roosevelt and uh, Prime Minister Churchill at one time established what was called the arsenal of democracy, in which a neutral United States helped Great Britain fight Germany, Nazi Germany, by um, providing it uh, with arms, it doesn't seem uh, to uh, do uh, much good for Ukraine right now. Our uh, panelists uh, today are uh, retired Colonel Dr. Eran Lerman. Welcome. Thank you. Retired Brigadier General Relik Shafir of the Israeli Air Force and Iraqi reactor fame. It was the Israeli Air Force against the Iraqi reactor, not the other way around. <laughs> yes. Okay. Oh, yes. Thankfully so. Uh, retired Colonel Dr. Jacques Neria. Um, a senior intelligence officer, defense attaché in Paris, and policy advisor to the late Prime Minister Itzhak Rabin, and uh, former deputy foreign minister, former ambassador to Washington, Danny Ayalon. Welcome to all of you. Iran, can the Ukrainians win this war without anyone else joining it? And just to remind uh, ourselves regarding what I said about Roosevelt and Churchill, it was only after Pearl Harbor, right. when Germany declared war on the United States, not the other way around, that um, the Americans could help uh, the British and the others directly. Well, Churchill, as you know, kept saying, give us the tools and we shall finish the work, but he never meant it. Uh, the Ukrainians are not so shy about asking for help, but they will not get it. Israel, by the way, has its own policy. We will never ask uh, anyone to uh, go in harm's way on our behalf. Well, with, with, with one, with one very caveat. With minor reservation. With, uh, with missile, missile defense. Certain elements of missile defense. And even that is more uh, at the request of the Americans, so we will not do things rather than the other way around. 
Having said all this, um, can the Ukrainians win? Well, um, I've seen generals in recent uh, generations go into conniptions trying to define what is a win. The Ukrainians have already won in one respect. Uh, the, the goal of the war is defined by Putin in the first flush of expectations has already been abandoned. The denazification, so to speak, of Ukraine, that's to say the decapitation of the leadership, the conquest of Kiev, the removal of uh, Ukrainian nationalism from the seat of power at the core areas of Ukraine has now been replaced by essentially an invasion to secure the Donbass and possibly a, a land connection to the Crimea. Uh, that's a different goal. So in this respect, the Ukrainians have already done more than one would have expected in the first couple of weeks. Can they uh, repel the Russians from the Donbass, given that uh, the area is populated largely by Russian speakers loyal to uh, the militias? That's a very different story. And that's, as you said, uh, likely more to look like a long war of attrition, subversion, limited Russian conquest. I don't think that they can pull, push the Russians out um, on their own, but they have held the core areas of Ukraine, the areas which were under Ukrainian control, with the sole exception of, of the tragedy of, of Mariupol. And even in Kherson, the Russians have not succeeded fully in establishing uh, their goals. So it's more like a bloody draw now than a Russian win. But uh, and beyond that, I would say that uh, technology, and intelligence coming in from the West can make a difference in favor of the Ukrainians in specific battlefields. General Shafir, one may see a parallel between um, the way Putin wanted to uh, get hold of Eastern Ukraine and uh, what um, Egyptian President Sadat did in October of 1973 when he had a limited war aim of uh, taking back um, Sinai, uh, which is, of course, uh, west of Israel proper. He did not try to conquer all of Israel. He knew he doesn't have um, enough force for that, even uh, when the Syrians helped him by opening a second front. But during <laughs> that war, the Yom Kippur War, the Israeli Air Force, of which you are a veteran, uh, found itself in dire straits by uh, losing too many aircraft and, most importantly, air crews. The uh, famous uh, airlift, uh, which President Nixon authorized, gave Israel F-4 Phantoms and A-4 Skyhawks, but not pilots and navigators. So is that the crucial link in outside help? Uh, in our case, uh, in 1973, uh, we did come to a... Uh, a almost a brink of uh, having to change our strategy due to the losses in, uh, in aircraft and air crews. Uh, but at no point were we in a position that we, we couldn't defend proper Israel. Um, I think in the uh, Ukrainian case, there were so many surprises to all sides. Uh, the Americans were surprised uh, or at least the NATO side was surprised because the Europeans knew that the Russians are going to go into war. 
have been saying this for 18 years prior, or even from the SALT talks 30 years prior to that, that the joining of Ukraine into NATO is a casus belli. Uh, so that was a surprise. Nobody expected the Russians to actually uh, provide something beyond words. But the Russians, um, their ideology, I think, put them uh, at a misunderstanding. They thought that the Ukrainians would accept them with open arms um, because that's the ideal that they had. And the story that they told themselves was so convincing that they started believing it. And so they didn't really prepare for a war. And they were surprised when they found out that they've been wrong all along, and that's why they had to regroup. Uh, but basically, they said for 18 years what they're going to do. They did it in Georgia in 2008, and they're going to do it. They're going to cut off uh, Donbass to the Mariupol area, uh, and take the Black Sea and control the whole area. Um, and uh, they will not accept Ukraine as a member of NATO. This is... Kiev is the birthplace of Russia, and uh, this is like um, China signing a deal with Mexico and putting arms right next to Houston and in Texas. So a whole lot of misunderstandings that ended up in a tragedy. Uh, but at the end of the day, the power play, the Russians are not known for backing down, and the Ukrainians will have to cut their losses and the young prime minister who, who, who's, who's doing very well on TV will have to uh, make a, uh, bad choices and become a grown-up man. And we will probably see this uh, happening in the uh, not-too-far future. Jacques Neria, I was uh, daydreaming uh, a moment ago when Relic talked about uh, errors of judgment or assessment and wishful thinking. Uh, because this is what Israel did uh, before it invaded Lebanon in 1982, a subject which um, you know very intimately from your service and your research. Um, is it uh, conceivable that resistance uh, by, in, in the Lebanese case, at first it was the uh, Palestinians, but then Hezbollah, and um, on the other hand, Reliance by an outside force, outside power such as Russia, on local uh, friendly forces. In Israel's case, it was the Maronite, the Falange, and here uh, the uh, Russians are counting on help by uh, the uh, Russian-speaking minority. Can that turn the tide? Well, well first, uh, allow me to... Uh to make two remarks concerning what uh, Iran said about, uh, about who won the war. Uh, and second, what was the goals of the war in, uh, in Egypt in 1973? Concerning the first issue, I would say that the Ukrainians have already won the war. The media war certainly has been won by the Ukrainians. It's, I mean, uh, if you can draw a parallel between us and the Russians, we are in the same, we are in the same case, we are in the same spot that uh, the international uh, media considers Ukraine to be David and the Russians to be Goliath. And this is what uh, we are uh, pictured in, in the out, uh, outside press. Second, concerning the, uh, the, Egyptian, the, uh, the Egyptian war, 1973, the, uh, the issue was to create a political momentum 
in order to reach an agreement with Israel concerning its withdrawal from the Sinai. And this is not the case here. The case is different. We have forgotten that the Ukrainians have not honored their agreements that signed with Russia concerning, uh, concerning the Donbass and the Donetsk areas. We have forgotten that the, during eight years, militias, uh, the Azov militia and other with the Nazi, the Nazi emblems are work and uh, were active against the Russian population in the area. We have forgotten that uh, uh, in the uh, in the agreements with the uh, with the uh, U.S. and the Europeans, the 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 draw line, the the border was supposed to be the the border in 1989 at the crumble of the uh, of the Soviet Empire. So this is really different. This is completely different, and this is why I believe that we are in a different situation here. And uh, certainly in the, in the case of Lebanon, in the case of Lebanon, one can definitely say and confess that Israel withdrew from Lebanon under duress, under the pressure of Hezbollah. Certainly, that Israel could not allow itself the, uh, to, be, uh, to be on the defensive to be, and to be hit all the, the day after day and to have casualties and, uh, and soldiers killed. This is one thing. Now, concerning the, the, the interactivity of, uh, of foreign powers into local, uh, local regions, there was an order in the Middle East. There was an order that was disturbed by the Americans in 2003. Nobody asked the Americans to just uh, to, to invade under uh, under uh, malicious, I would say, uh, reasons that uh, saying that the the, the the Iraqis had a nuclear bomb or the mass destruction and, and by by invading uh, Iraq, they destroyed the bastion we had vis-a-vis -vis Iran. The, the bastion, and not not only that, they destroyed the the the, the state itself. They tried to rebuild another state. And by the, by the dismantling the Iraqi army and by dismantling the whole government and putting a, a, a situation where we are living today, the consequences of their invasion in the area. So the Americans, this is what they did in Iran. On the other hand, the Russians saved uh, Assad without the Russian intervention in September. The, the, in September, the the, the Assad regime would have been. in Lebanon. Things have changed. Lebanon was always the, uh, the dependent of a foreign uh, entity, France, the U.S., Egypt, Israel, and now it's Iran. Hmm. Iran has the, replaced all the other regional powers, and this is what, what is reflected today by the Arabs, is to see what could happen if Iran would, would intervene in the Gulf states, in Saudi Arabia, in Iraq, in Syria, and what would be our end. Danny, you're uh, an old Washington hand, and one of President Biden's uh, declared um, intentions here, um, a surprising one, is that Russia, uh, and especially under Putin, end up uh, being weakened and isolated. Does it make sense if uh, his uh, main rival is China? Why would he want to weaken Russia rather than turn it into an ally? That's an excellent question, and um, I think that the uh, American policy, foreign policy under Biden is quite confused. It's not coherent, and I think it's uh, detrimental to uh, their interest, to our interest, to the free world's uh, interest. I think I, I would in interject another uh, word, which is deterrence and determination, which is very, very important in foreign policy. And back in World War II, as you mentioned in the beginning, you know, the land lease uh, project of the Americans assisting uh, Churchill 
was instrumental, and it kept Britain actually aloft and uh, and being able well, to... Well, 50, uh, 50 destroyers, not, not really. Oh, yeah, well, not not, notwithstanding, of course, the U-boat, the German U-boat that tried to intercept, you know, this very, very long uh, uh, convoys over the Pacific from the over United the States to, to, to Britain. But that, that was really the determination which really helped in material and also in in, in policy way and, uh, of course, in, um, I would say, uh, support and um, not, not just, uh, you know, not just actual support, also <coughs> spiritual support, if you may. I think that superpowers are not different than any other countries. When they bleed enough, they leave. You can take the United States in Vietnam or even in Korea back in the 50s, uh, Russia, the Soviet Union's in um, but but you mentioned Afghanistan. but you mentioned deterrence. Putin managed to deter NATO. Absolutely, uh, that's right. This is where there is no current deterrence, because when the Americans really wanted to hurt the Russians, the Soviet Unions back in the eighties, they really helped Bin Laden and the Afghanis in such a way that was very very uh, hurtful to the Russians who left. Same thing on the other way around was when the China and Russia helped the Viet Cong and the United States left. And uh, Jacques mentioned, you know, we left uh, Lebanon with the assistance of Iran to the Hezbollah. It's a matter of determination and of really doing it in a major way. And we don't see it in the Ukraine. You know, if Germany now is rethinking, second guessing whether they should send armored uh, vehicles to the Ukraine, and the Americans are also haphazardly helping, this is a recipe for a Russian victory. Iran, isn't it, um, in the final analysis, a matter of simple arithmetic? A major power with standing power like Russia, uh, not a democracy, Putin can hold on for the foreseeable future unless there is uh, a putsch. Non-linear. And and, uh, he has managed to deter the Ukrainians by uh, threatening uh, um, his nuclear alert and uh, pointing out that that NATO would not be able uh, to have Ukraine uh, join it. Now he's trying to threaten Finland and and Sweden uh, too. So eventually, even if uh, the Ukraine gets some of its um, goals in the uh, negotiations, isn't the price going to be too high? Well, the, the price for what? This is, but let, let me first of all, I don't want to position myself necessarily as an advocate of the Biden administration, but uh, there's another that way of... It would be very hard to do. That's not <laughs> going to be easy. I, I accept. Uh, and there's questions of coherence all over the place. Nevertheless, there is a theme that was there well before the Ukrainian conflict. Um, uh, in, in the Jerusalem Strategic Tribune, I, I wrote my first uh, editorial, called it Back to Modernity. We've been in a postmodern era, Obama in his own way, Trump certainly in his own version of truth and history. Biden is a product of, 40, of the post-45 order, and in essence, he's trying to put it back in place. This great uh, Truman tradition of the Truman wise men who built a world effectively contained the Soviet Union, laid the foundations for an ultimate bloodless victory uh, in Europe. And his key instrument in this 
has been the notion that democracies should hang together. Uh, in a way, this is the key to the isola ultimate isolation, in his mind, of the Chinese challenge, leaving China isolated through a, um, a set of democratic alliances, one in, in Europe, already existing, NATO, and one in Asia. Based but, there on is, but there is a fatal flaw in this uh, theory, and that is that if you want sometimes to rattle some sabers, and you want to be credible, you must have your nation behind you, especially when you don't have conscription, because we know what the domestic reaction is going to be once casualties come back to Dover Air Force Base in Kansas. It's, it's always depends on the cause. The, it's not, democratic societies can tolerate a high level of casualties. This is what Penina and others have been arguing in recent years if they know what they're dying for. If they don't, there's no point. But if they know what they're dying for, and this is what's happening in Ukraine. The Ukrainian people are suffering a very high level of <coughs> civilian casualties. But, American, so but Americans are, American are looking at Ukraine, but in fact, they're just staring at what would happen in Taiwan, facing, uh, facing and, and China. Their, and their message to China is, it's not an excursion. It's, it it won't a, be an excursion. It won't be an excursion. And, and I say that there's one, there's only one really important student of the Ukrainian story, and that's he. And his conduct seems to indicate that he is looking at what Putin did to himself and saying to himself, China is not yet in a position to afford that kind of economic destruction. So, so let's bring in Relic Shafir because uh, this is um, the place where grand strategy meets the military art. And um, of course, the cases are not identical. Um, Taiwan would need uh, an invasion by uh, naval and air forces, perhaps an amphibious uh, landing. Um, it's uh, an island, um, while Ukraine, of course, uh, borders Russia. What uh, is your reading of air power versus uh, ground combat uh, troops uh, in the Ukraine so far? I think what happened, the Russians uh, did not create, didn't choose the right time. March every year with the weather in that area uh, does not help either fighter, fighter power or helicopters because the fighters can't find the targets. If the ground forces don't know where they are, they don't know where the enemy is. And there is the enemy are just two or three people who are shooting anti-tank. So it's a real fog of war. It's, uh, it's worse than a fog of war. Uh, because if the fog of war, you know where the fog is. They don't know where the fog is. That's one point. Um, the helicopters are flying under the sky, visible to any SA, simple SA-7 uh, to shoot them down. So uh, <laughs> they hadn't prepared for a war. Um, so they, the only thing they can really do is... Uh, uh, brute firepower, the way they did in Russia, which is to... In Syria. In, in Syria, sorry. And to destroy whole cities uh, with their Tupolevs or Su-34s, etc. 
So they're not able to bring firepower to the, the target in their situation because they hadn't prepared for this kind of a war and they really don't have uh, the ground uh, warfare interaction with air power. Uh, we've seen this in 1982 and uh, obviously in 1973 every time we tried to help the local troops uh, this is really uh, not being able. The Americans failed with this in Iraq with their Apaches as well. Uh, that's why they uh, attack helicopters, have lost a lot of uh, their credibility in warfare. In close air support. In close air support. So close air support, unless it's drones and the weather is good enough, um, is destructive for an air force. So we've learned the lesson. I don't think the Russians have. But if they want brute force, the Russians can have it. They can wreak havoc. Not, But they can't do anything less than that. So the story is, uh, what do you want to have the end game? I don't think the Russians are, are trying to uh, do what they did in Russia. They wouldn't care about the, the lives of the Syrians, but they do care about Ukrainians. Because as they, their perception is that Ukrainians are actually Russians. So uh, I think they're caught in... in uh, uh, a position where they have to rethink them or reroute uh, their way, uh, and the Air Force can't help them in this particular situation. Jacques, you were born in Beirut. You know uh, the territory. Um, the um, the new Russian commander, the General Dvornikov, um, was the first commander of Russian troops in Syria. Obviously, he has learned uh, what uh, Hezbollah can do, what the Iranian proxies can do, what the um, uh, so-called Wagner group of mercenaries can do. What sort of tactics can such um, a general import from the Syrian theater to the uh, different one in, in the Ukraine? I think, as it was said before, that he could bring brute force this is definitely what the Russians would aim. Remember, at the siege of Berlin in the Second World War, 20,000 cannons were directed against Berlin. This is what the Russians can do if they want to. And, uh, and this is what they aim right now in order to, uh, to, to dissect the uh, Ukraine into two and get the, the Donbass and the Donetsk uh, uh, as, as the, the trophies of war. This is what I think that this general can do. I don't think that he will, uh, he will use uh, elite troops or the paratroopers in order to, to, to capture cities, whatever. This, <clears throat> this is definitely not the, the, his style. His style is to bring the bombers and to just drop bombs, <coughs> bombs until the resistance <coughs> is finished. Chemical warfare too? Chemical warfare is uh, is uh, 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 is not allowed according to international law uh, right now. I don't think that they need that. I mean, uh, they they are using uh, the several sort of ammunition, and those ammunitions are also banned by international law. And I think that uh, basically artillery can do the job. Danny, um, Iran uh, uh, earlier mentioned uh, the Biden administration's uh, problems with policy. Um, you are now cast in a uh, Republican role, at least here around uh, the table. Although I am bipartisan. Of course, and, and that's the point. Um, what Iran mentioned regarding the Cold War and containment was basically a bipartisan 
policy uh, from Truman through Eisenhower, who was a Republican, of course, through um, Kennedy and Johnson and so on. But had Trump been in office now, let's assume he would have won. Of course, we know he believes he, he did. But uh, had he been elected, re-elected in 2020, what uh, would he have done different? Or perhaps uh, he would have averted the invasion altogether? I believe Trump would have averted the invasion altogether. You know, he calls himself a gambler. That's how he, uh, you know, uh, when he... He said being on good terms with Putin is a good thing. Yes, absolutely. You know, right now he's picking up some candidates, you know, in the midterms, which are, you know, have not a chance, you know, to, to, to win. But he says, you know, I like to do, I like to gamble. I think here also he would have gambled on the, uh, especially as it's not uh, his own skin, you know, on the fate of uh, of the Ukraines. I believe that uh, without any remorse or any compunctions, he would have cut a deal with uh, with Putin to begin with. You know, Putin and uh, and some in the West uh, blame uh, Biden for not really understanding Putin in the meeting they had in December in in Geneva, and he did not really brace for that. Um, had uh, Trump been in that position, he would have cut a deal and uh, Ukraine would have been done for. Iran, what uh, can you say about the role of intelligence in this uh, conflict? <clears throat> I think that's very often um, the secret ingredient. Uh, and um, for example, uh, we mentioned the, the submarine warfare in the Atlantic. That could have been the, the the crux in some respects. It could have been the crux of the war if Britain had been uh, brought to its knees uh, by starvation, and that could have happened uh, with unrestrained uh, submarine warfare. Uh, the war would have ended differently, and we would not be sitting here. But uh, the determined determinant in that war in that state at that stage was the uh, Bletchley Park and the breaking of the Enigma. Uh, which which changed the game, and the Americans, by the way, were already fighting, deciphering the codes, deciphering the uh, the, 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 the German naval codes, and knowing where the German submarines were loitering, and the, the Americans actually were already in the war. Well, in that respect, hunting uh, German submarines before Pearl Harbor, and uh, here, what we don't fully know, we shall learn over time, is what is the role of the CIA. And uh, <clears throat> I think we can already see the contours of the role of, the, of MI6, which is uh, hitting way above the weight of Britain in terms of intelligence capabilities uh, in supporting the capacity of the Ukrainians to locate and hit Russian forces. But also in information operations, in, in propaganda. As well. And, and uh, build, it so happens. Manipulation. Many, uh, that the, uh, I have, you have to have to give very high grades <clears throat> to Bill Burns, who is a Russia hand, uh, former ambassador in Moscow, knows Putin cold, knows his Russian, the Russian reads the Russian situation very well. And right from the beginning, uh, they, they made the determination to start leaking selective items of intelligence about Russian intentions in order to put uh, Putin in a certain light. And they have, it's Zelensky for sure in his, uh, bravery and, and Shakespearean uh, role as a as a wartime hero, 
but also the, uh, the CIA management of intelligence, uh, of, of, uh, of information operations in this conflict has been fairly impressive. Yeah, the, 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 the international uh, media is completely cornered. Yeah, the intelligence was supposed to stop the Russians from invading Ukraine. You say, we know you about your intentions. And I think this is a big failure of intelligence because intelligence has been used as a political tool here. And the political tool hasn't... Uh, hasn't but this helped. is for the policymakers, not uh, for the, the intelligence professionals. Ha have, ha they have uh, I, I, I instructed the CIA and other agencies to just uh, give up uh, But very sensitive You remember the old movie, I know what you did last summer. So yeah. I know but, what but, you're but, going but, to do but, next spring. But, but Oh, and from our so, experience, several times we have said that uh, the Egyptians or the Syrians or what, whoever have the intention to do this and this in order to just tell them, look, we are aware of, our, of your intentions. And finally, uh, uh, we, we failed. And, and, and exactly, this is the failure of intelligence. Now they are giving uh, details and, uh, and they are alimenting, giving more and more fuel to the Ukrainians and all to hit the Russians. This is it. Tactical information. General Shafir, you are hereby appointed National Security Advisor to President Zelensky. What's your advice? Cut your losses. Uh, give up the Basque area uh, because there's no way the Russians are going to give up on that one. Um, tell everybody you're not going to join NATO. And <clears throat> you know the Russians are going to pressure Ukraine in order to take off the sanctions. It's not just what happens in Ukraine because the Russians will not back down until the sanctions are taken off. And that means that more and more losses to the Ukraine and more and more pressure with 7 million refugees already. Um, so Zelensky needs to stop acting. It's not a play. It's not a TV play. And cut the losses and be a big boy. Well, it's very easy for you to say because you're only an advisor. He's a politician. He uh, uh, went uh, too far uh, out on a limb by trying... Uh, But do what Khomeini did in 1988 in the war against Iraq. He drank the chalice of yes. poison. He, he drank the poison. And actually died. <laughs> a year later. <laughs> a year later. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, yes, this is exactly it. There 598. Are, there, there are certainly uh, enough examples for him. And he needs to find the way to come down from his heroics into real life. Um, because Ukrainians are going to pay for the power play between NATO. There's one thing that we should all have wished for is that Angela Merkel would have been, would have been, would have stayed because Angela Merkel knew what was going to happen. But she's, she's off the game. And unfortunately, what happened was that Zelensky was led to believe that he can continue uh, to control the, the, uh, the comedy or whatever he was playing it. So that's my suggestion. Cut your losses. Jacques, um, what will be the uh, world order or European order at least coming out of this conflict whenever it is? We are witnessing a new world just uh, evolving in front of our eyes. 
if you think that the Russians are going to stop with, uh, on Donbass, you're completely wrong. There's three small countries in the north, Baltic countries, that mm. are very, very much uh, the, uh, in the eyes of, uh, of, uh, uh, of Putin. And, uh, and you know, so several things have been done and ex- uh, said in, in that. Uh, in that uh, I think that Putin has stopped started a new a new world with the with Europe with NATO with the US and I think that we we don't know right now what would be the uh, the the final outcome of it and certainly what what would be the influence on what is going on in Europe on the Middle East because it has a direct influence certainly on the behavior of the US as judged by the Arab countries Danny um, from Israel's point of view are there any opportunities here? Are there any holes into which Israel can insert itself for its own interests, either in this uh, conflict where uh, all of a sudden Prime Minister Bennett tried to mediate or um, in other um, areas, other dimensions? Well, of course, Amir, the mediation of Bennett is null and void. It's uh, not um, on the uh, in the cards anymore, uh, probably not from the beginning. I think it uh, wasn't uh, the smartest move. I'm not sure Israel has... Uh, it was probably mediate. only a face-saving measure for Zelensky to say, okay, I accept the uh, honest broker's uh, suggestion Maybe. rather than a diktat by Maybe. Putin. And, and for Bennett and for Israel, it gave it more time to be less, let's say, less... Uh, Uh, critical of uh, Russian. Until now, it's coming to a head. We have to uh, take uh, sides. And of course, it's not brainer that we're going to be with the Americans all all the way in. But I'm afraid, you know, what General uh, Shafir said is that if indeed Zelensky cuts his losses, I think that could be the end of world order as we know it. I think that um, Putin will not stop at the Donbass. And um, the Euro- Europe, as we know it, may be uh, gone. I think it also may have some direct effect here vis-a-vis Iran and uh, in the region. And I'm not sure that he is even capable of doing it because if Zelensky now cuts his losses, I'm not sure his people will let him do it. He may be just thrown off and somebody else will take because the Ukrainian people are mad, are humiliated, and they are determined. So here, I think what the, that's what the West is, is, is lacking. Not just in helping in assistance, you know, in material assistance, but also in cyber assistance. You know, in Russia, I mean, I've met some uh, Russian who are visiting here. They don't know exactly what's happening because the Russian just really put an iron... Why does it matter? Because I think at the end of the day, I think at the end of the day, the Russian people, if they really realize what's happening, if they realize that not just 20,000, but maybe 100,000 Russians dead bodies are going to arrive... They may try to second guess, and it's a matter of who falls. Will Putin fall or the Ukraine fall? And I think it's important for the free world, including Israel, that Putin falls and not the Ukraine. Well, after 1917, the only example which could support your thesis is Yeltsin in in, uh, uh, 1991. But uh, that was an aberration. Uh, One doesn't see the Russian people um, in an uprising. You know, it takes well, one bullet, you know, the ballots and bullets, the difference between dictatorship and democracy. Yeah, it's not the Putin, Russian, Putin knows Russia. it too. It's not the Russian people. It's whether um, the elite. within the elite, within the security experts, we are being hounded now by Putin because they fed him a false a set of false expectations. There will be a reaction. Uh, we, we all remember that Khrushchev, 
paid the price for the Cuban um, the mismanagement of the Cuban crisis. Two years, it took two years, but at the end, uh, he got the bill. But I, I would look at the situation a bit differently uh, right now. First of all, uh, Zelensky already in uh, there are indications that the Russians may relent on Ukraine joining the EU or what's left of Ukraine joining the EU. This could become a very dramatic game changer because um, the EU, EU would be very eager to lift the Ukrainians, to show the world, to make the showcase with great potential. Uh, of course, it will require certain serious uh, reforms. And this would have been worth the death and destruction? Well, uh, it depends on uh, how you look at, uh, at it from a long-term perspective. The Donbass has been gone a long time. I mean, this is not an area where the, where the Ukrainian government uh, writ runs uh, in the last 10, 15 years. If they can hold their Black Sea ports, if they can hold uh, uh, Odessa, uh, Mariupol, I don't know about, uh, but if they can hold uh, uh, Odessa, if they have a, a, a seaport at the end of this war, they will have uh, uh, an a- access to the world in a very in a different well, way. Well, we don't have uh, time now. So they, they may end up uh, gaining. For, for either of you to play... Uh, I will say one thing. Russia is in the danger of becoming a Chinese satrapy, a Chinese dependency as a result of Putin's decision to go to this war in the manner in which he did. So this will give us an excellent topic for one of our future programs. Thank you all, Eran Lerman, Relic Shafir, Jacques Neria, and Danny Ayalon. And we will be back next month with another edition of Powers in Play. Shalom from Jerusalem. Welcome to TV7 Israel's podcast. We invite you to listen and share our latest content from Israel and the region. 